You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Eternal God, we come to you. We're here. We know that you are here. And we ask you to show up that your word this morning would come not in simple oral expression, not in syllables, words, but it would come with your Holy Spirit. It would come with full conviction. And we ask this through Jesus, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Well, make yourself at home. I just want you to know that my heart is overflowing because of you. Your decision on a daily basis to put God first, to reach out to God. I don't know why you're here today. You might be forced to be here today. But I'm thankful. I'm thankful for those that surround you with love, that want you to be in a place that's seeking God. And I just want you to know, whether you're online or here in the flesh, we're glad that you're here and we want to seek God together with you. I also have to ask if you're, if you're uh, ready. I don't know if this is a bright Sunday after Black Friday. I don't, I don't know where that fits in the commercial calendar that, is, that ours that does affect us, but uh, welcome to Bright Sunday, a time when we can, well, jump in with James and enjoy some conflict. Are, are, you, are you ready for more conflict from James? You know that we've had this larger series with a very clear purpose. It's called likeness. We are wanting to take on the likeness of Christ. And we're doing that in this kind of mini-series that this is the fourth of four, where we're going through conflict. We're exploring conflict in kind of a different way, a James way of things that we could might learn about how we go through conflict. And today might be the one that's the most unfamiliar to you, maybe the one that you might want to minimize. And you might correct me and say, well, Brady, I've been minimizing all of these. I, I don't want to control my tongue like we talked about in first week. I don't want to be a student of my tongue. I, I don't want to, Brady, I, I don't want to think about where I'm getting my wisdom from. Because I'm happy being the source of my own wisdom. I have this wisdom from below rather than a bigger picture wisdom. And maybe you say, I would just rather pass by what you said last week, that I am the origin of conflict. That whenever I'm in the middle of a, a battle, it doesn't so much matter what the other person is doing. It matters about how my will is being frustrated. My will is being thwarted from what I want to do. Today. Today we look at the number one sin. The top sin. This one sits at the top of the heap. Scholars, theologians, biblical students of all kind point to this student as the one, as this sin, as the one that fuels and fires every other sin, the capital sin. Now, it might be one that you've not heard before. In fact, if we're throwing a party for sins and we invite them all in, come on in, greed. Come on in, envy. Welcome, jealousy. If we have a party for sins, this one takes the VIP status. We swing open the door and everyone is excited about this sin that fuels every other sin. And that sin is the sin of presumption. Of presuming that you can judge another. Presuming that you're the 
only one that makes plans for you, of presuming that your life is about accumulating stuff. I hear you probably scratch your head and say, presumption? I've never heard about presumption being a sin that doesn't seem so bad. Well, maybe you know it by its other name, its, its more familiar name, pride. You see, pride sits at the top of the pile of sins, the seven deadly sins. There is pride looking down on us, quite pleased with itself, looking down at all the other sins, knowing that they all come from this sin. And pride is about exalting the self. It's not just that sense of feeling that you have when you've done a job well. Or when someone gives you a compliment, that's not pride. Pride takes it a step further where you're exalting the self. You're excluding any other authority other than your own self. And you have no accountability to anyone else. Pride is very subtle. Sometimes it's unrecognized. Even as we pursue what is good, we're doing so for ourselves. Well, it's against this sin of presumption that James puts on his prophetic robes and he comes in and he gets his strongest prophetic voice and he gives us three things that I want us to look at today, this sin of presumption. And you might feel like, you know, as he dons the robes that he's looking at us. Uh, Do any of you know Mike Dean? Mike Dean is a hilarious man. Mike Dean is now our custodian. He's served in a variety of ways, but... We were in our our, uh, prayer time where we pray for our guests and pray for our events several weeks ago. And somehow the sermon came up and uh, Mike piped up. We were going to move on and Mike piped up and he said, yeah, I was listening to that sermon. And I was like, is Brady preaching at me? And Mike said, I looked around, I looked and, and saw, is anybody else thinking the same thing? Is Brady preaching against Mike Dean? Now that just cracked me up because Mike was tongue-in-cheek saying, you know, I'm hearing these words and it sounds like they're directed straight at me. And I know exactly how I feel because when I read James, when I preach through James, it's very difficult, the things that James has to say to me. And so if you're feeling that, maybe we can laugh along with Mike Dean and feel that challenge. Because sometimes we feel like, you know, all, all a preacher does is just point out everybody else's flaws. It's kind of like a preacher's job is to come and just rub your sunburn that you've had. What, whatever's not feeling well, there the preacher is to poke, poke it in your eye. Let me just tell you that the preaching, it's much like being a Christian. We're, we're pointing to, we're testifying, we're giving witness to God. And sometimes it is a little bit difficult. Okay, so the three presumptions. The way I want to do the text today is I want to read it for each of these three sections. So we're going to look in in James chapter 4, and I'm going to read verse 11 and 12 for our first presumption. Here we go. James 4, 11. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers and sisters. Whoever speaks evil against another or judges another, speaks evil against the law, and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you're not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and destroy. So who then are you to judge your neighbor? The first presumption, the presumption of pride, is the presumption of being able to judge others. And when you look at this, you might see it 
several things that James says. To speak against another person. To judge what they're doing. And this is something that's pretty common among Christians. We're, we're able to classify certain people by things that they do or who they might have been in their past or what they might currently wrestle with. And James says we can't just look at life in this black and white, black and white way to just judge people or an event or a conflict and to just make a decision about where that person is destined, where they are bound. And I think James helps us to think not just in being able to recognize evil, but not be the judge of that evil. What happens whenever we take on this presumption of, presumption of judging others or looking down on others and critiquing them is that we forget. There's only one lawgiver, and we're not it. Now, last week I, I made a joke. I said, you know, in terms of of judging, we are not assistant to the judge. God has not appointed you assistant to the judge. And I said, nor assistant to the judge. And, and a lot of you caught my office reference there. The point is not that somehow we're supposed to apply for this position of judge. It's not a position that we're able to take. James is pushing us past that to say, don't judge, be a doer of the law. Don't judge the law. Don't judge other people and how they're following the law. Because when you do that, you're forgetting your own sin. You're forgetting your mistakes, which might be different than the person that you're judging. And you're taking yourself and placing yourself in the position of God. One more similar example, and I made this one in passing, but I want to say a little bit more about it, is evangelism. Sometimes when we think about saving someone, we think that we're supposed to be the one to save them. Or that we're supposed to be the one to change them in some way. And that if they're not changed, or if they're not saved, then we haven't succeeded in evangelism. And Jesus says, that's not the way it is. You are about giving witness to my name, about testifying. God is the only one who saves, just like he's the only one who judges. Our job is to testify, to bear witness, to point to God in the situation. All right, so we've got our first presumption, the presumption of judging others. Let's read the next one. This picks up in verse 13 of chapter 4. Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a town, and we will spend a year there doing business and making money. Yet you don't even know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wishes, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the right thing to do and fails to do it commits sin. In this little picture, this color, full-colored example, it provides for us the presumption of pl making plans without God. The presumption there is that we can make our arrangements and organize our lives and do so without God. So the, the picture is of a group of merchants who are saying uh, what they're going to do. And so maybe we could think about, you know, a family that's coming up with an online eBay business that they're going to do. And the plans are made entirely without God. 
And the way it's depicted is with all these future tense verbs. We're going to go. We will spend a year. We will do business and we will make money. And the boast and the arrogance is all about what they will do. And, and maybe God gets tacked on at the end. A little special prayer of blessing over what you want to do. But the focus is all about our plans and what we are about. There's no dependence upon God. And it's easy to forget that we are a vapor. Have you ever paid attention to a vapor over the tea kettle? A little bit of steam. Maybe you've blown out a candle and you've caught sight of it and it really had a nice little smoke trail ribboning up into the air. That's our lives. Here and then gone. And yet that's the way that we're assuming that because we're such a great planner, we've got such a great business plan that we boast in our arrogance. Double words for boast. We boast in our boasting. It's kind of like we just look in the mirror and we look at ourselves and we say, you complete me. I mean, pride in its most significant form might be just that, right? You look at yourself and you're so confident of who you are and yet, maybe that's not the only way to think about pride. You're like, oh, Brady, that's not me. I would never look in the mirror and say that. That's crazy. I look in the mirror and I see all of my flaws, physical flaws, the mistakes I've made. If we look into that mirror and we obsess about the things that we've done wrong, the ways that we aren't or the ways that we lack, we're actually focused in another form of pride. A pride where somehow we're trying to control and, and maybe pursue this path of humility, but it's not really that. We're so worried about what other people think that we're worried about our own flaws or that someone might see them. Humility takes a lot of forms, and yet sometimes pride cloaks itself in humility in terms of the humble brag. Oh, you know, really, it was nothing. Oh, you heard about that? Well, let me just fill in the details for you. Or kind of a selective humility where you're going to tell the preacher the certain things that you do when you're around the preacher, but you for sure wouldn't tell somebody else about those things. And maybe they're just a very small part of your schedule anyway. It's, we're selective in who we're humble around. And maybe it's this false image of humility. Do you see how pride's kind of sneaky? It's not just this arrogance, but sometimes it's a false humility. And what James points us to is doing the good, which sounds kind of bland. But failure to do the good that we know to do, that is sin. Now, I, I like this word good because it's actually a word that means good or noble or beautiful, the fruitful thing. So think really big picture here where it's more than just what's good for you. It's, it's bigger than myself. And how I look or how people see my beauty or my mistakes, it's bigger than that. It's what's good for all. It's what's good for others. And it pries, it kind of wedges me off the mound of a false humility or a false pride and gets me to think about what's beautiful, what's true, what's noble for others. All right, so far we've got the presumption of thinking that we can judge others. And now we have this presumption 
of making plans without God where it's all about us. And that brings us to our third presumption, the presumption of accumulating treasure. So let me read this to you from chapter 5 now, verses 1 through 6. Come now, you rich people, weep and wail for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your clothes moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted, and their rust will be evidence against you. It will eat your flesh like fire. You've laid up treasure for the last days. Listen, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, cry out. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You've lived on the earth in luxury and in pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous one who does not resist you. This presumption is the presumption of accumulating treasures. Now, we really get a sense of this larger theme that James has been involved in. Do you remember the community that he's writing to? It's a small messianic Christian community that's poor, that's oppressed. Rich people in the area, probably external to this group, they're oppressing them. And they're wanting to kind of rebel. Now, here in this deal, James is speaking to them almost as outsiders, right? There's no corrective for them. But for us as Americans, who don't have to worry about where our next meal is coming from, who know not just that we're going to be able to sleep, but we know the address of where we're going to sleep. It's a different message. We have to almost hear the edge of the critique to us. This critique that's pretty pointed and harsh about our stuff. That our stuff decays. Now, do I have to tell you about technology decaying? Do you not have a drawer filled with cords and phones and handheld devices Things that are now just in this graveyard of things. I laughed on the phone to a guy within the last month who told me, oh, this is future-proof. <laughs> You're kidding, right? Future-proof. You mean I'll never have to buy this again. Whenever we look at our stuff, we know that these cords and these computers, these devices that we've bought, even thinking about what your Black Friday purchase was last year, do you remember it? Five years ago? Is it still in commission? We know that this stuff decays and it oppresses us and that it is eventually a very short period of time where every shiny device becomes big and clunky and useless at some point. And yet when we think about how we're preparing our lives or what's important to us, if we think about what we might take out of our house in a fire, a lot of that prepping and preparing, that last day kind of stuff, is all about our own treasures. It's all about what we might put in our pirate chest that would get us through to what's next. And James takes us to realize that that stuff is not going to cross the finish line. It's not going to move us forward into the kingdom of God. Instead, in his prophetic robes, he says, and those wages, those wages of the people that work for you that you didn't pay, they're crying out. The edge, the rub here is that out of our abundance, 
sometimes we use that abundance to deny people basic rights to live. You know, we got to think about ourselves. Do we pay the people well that take care of our lawns? Do we pay those contractors or do we refuse to pay them? What about the people that serve us at our tables, the people that we tip, the clerks that are in our lives? Do we take care of them or do we treat them poorly? Our clothes. Do we think about where our clothes from? So, oh, Brady, I don't, I don't shop on Saks Fifth Avenue. I'm not this high-flying purchaser of clothing. Well, but do we go to the discount store to find the cheapest of the cheap? And do we know how those clothes are made? Do we know if they've brought children in there? Do they know if they, do we even know if they've been paid a fair working wage? Are the conditions okay or do they fear for their lives? These are things that we can think about. Because James says their hearts are fat. Their time is different from ours. Whenever they were going to have meat, usually there was a time when they would fatten up the cow or whatever animal it was, and the wealthy people would eat a lot of meat as soon as that cow was offered. Rich, rich people got meat a lot. Poor people, maybe once, once a year at a festival, maybe they pull up to someone's tailgate and they get just a little bit of meat. But James flips this image and says, your hearts are fat. They're fattened up for a day of slaughter. Now, we won't get into how metals like silver and gold don't corrode. We won't try to figure that out. James is basically saying, where is your bank account really? And those things are eating your flesh. Now here, I just have to step back and take a breather. Because James has been screaming in my ear and working me over with these prophetic robes. I mean, I'm having trouble taking him seriously a little bit because he says, don't judge. And then whack, whack. Whack, cuts me down to the quick, right? The way I want to close is I want to look at these three things again in a little bit more positive, not in, in a sense of how do we live this out? What does it look like if we're going to pursue this path that James is laying out? If we get serious about understanding that our life is a vapor, how is it that we can fight against pride and fight against presumption? So far with James, the answer is still the same. You could go back and look to the classic verse, chapter 4, verse 6, where he quotes from Proverbs 3.34, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. There's that word pride. God opposes the presumptuous, but he gives grace to those who are humble. The path is going to be the same. How do we pursue this life of humility? And let's look at those three things one more time. The first one, don't judge others. Is it possible for us to be discerning in our life of actions that are bad and good without judging and without speaking evil? It seems to me that the point is not that we just no longer look at anything as bad or good and we just zip our lips and don't say anything to our children about courses that they could take. That we don't sit down with, a coffee, with our friend over coffee and say what we really think about things. We're not unaware, we're not blind to evil in the world, but we're simply not speaking against another person. We're not becoming the judge of that other person. We're willing to point them out 
in that treacherous path. And instead of judging them, we're pointing them to God, surrendering to God. Because we recognize that we're fellow sinners and that they could easily point out mistakes to us. We're not the arbitrators. We're not the judge. We're not the enforcers. In fact, sometimes I think we're, we think we're the, uh, the executive branch. We're the police officer where we've got to get things straightened out. Or, or, or maybe we think we're the judicial branch where we're the ones that need to decide in someone's favor. And occasionally, maybe this fits the preachers, we're going to make all the rules, right? We're going to be that legislative branch. And God says, no, no. Recognize who you are. And be able to see that there's good and bad in this world. Be able to acknowledge it and speak about it. But don't, don't judge. Don't speak against that person. All right, well, let's take the second one, a positive path. Making plans without God. You probably know where that would go. Instead, we do make our plans with God. We make those plans very tentatively, and we make those plans looking for the larger good, to know the good that ought to be done, to look at what's beautiful and noble and right and true. So we're consulting God, and we're able to step back from our job or our degree plan or, or even from what we choose to eat and say, is this good? Is this purchase good? Does it fit into the beauty of the world? Is it advancing what God would want in the world? And no, there's probably not going to be a voice in your ear helping you make that plan because you're in partnership with God. God is trusting your decision-making ability, and God is more than willing to walk with you in that path. All right, so that's the second one. The third one, if we could say it more positively, rather than treasuring the things in our life, treasure people. I mean, wouldn't that be a different way to enter this holiday season, to treasure people, to not be worried about what our purchases are or how we're going to access Amazon Music or whatever the latest technology is, but we are focused in on the people and bringing good intentions to them, even our enemies, even those who are opponents of us. And we're not focused in on the things, but on others. Do you see how that's a little bit more positive approach that takes it into the practical world where we might say that there's good and bad in the world and be willing to, to discern it, but not judge the people who have gone down a particular path, to make those plans with God tentatively, pursuing what is ultimately good, and to treasure the people that are in our lives. The sin of presumption, or this sin of pride that James has helped us see, points us back to maybe when we get off the path, the path of loving God and loving our neighbor as ourself. That's what happens when conflict emerges. We're no longer loving God with all of our being, and we're no longer loving our neighbor as ourself. Instead, we're judging, making our own plans, and treasuring things to ourselves. I think the humble path is one to hear words like this and to hear them like Mike Dean, if we could say that without inflating his own ego, of how does this fit me? How does my life need to be different based upon what I've seen, what I've read, what Scripture is telling me? Because we are those people who want to follow Jesus, 
And following Jesus means looking like Jesus. That's what we're all about. Taking on the likeness of Christ in our life. Let's pray. Eternal God, our prayer is simple. Would you work against the pride and presumption that's in our life? Would you teach us the path of humility? And would you do so by making us more and more like Jesus? It's through him who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever, that we pray. Amen.